In today's episode of Men's Bible Study, Pastor John Mark Caton starts a new series entitled Summertime Blockbusters. John Mark teaches on the most misused verse in the Bible, Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4 contains instructions on our posture, prayer, principle, and promise. Now let's hear from Pastor John Mark. Well, all right, guys, good to see you all this morning. I want to invite you to turn uh, to Philippians chapter 4 as uh, we kick off this new series today entitled Blockbusters. And uh, we're going to be looking at um, some verses that are very familiar and really just kind of examine really what do those verses mean. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, we're going to go to verse 13 here in a second. But if you think about Philippians chapter 4, powerful passage, probably uh, if you were to ask people, uh, what uh, chapter, some of the chapters they like to read the most in the Bible, I will promise you Romans 8 would be up there, but Philippians 4 would be up there as well. Uh, if you were to break down kind of Philippians 4, uh, Paul talks about a number of ideas. He talks about, first of all, uh, the posture of our life mentally. He, he says, man, we need to rejoice always. We need to live with an attitude of joy. Uh, then right beyond that, he says, man, there's a prayer that we need to pray. Uh, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't let anything weigh your hearts down. Uh, but if, with everything, uh, in everything, prayer and supplication. Then he gives us a principle, and that's really what we're going to look at today. Uh, the principle of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul says, listen, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a principle that we can live by. Uh, but then as you think about beyond that, there's a promise. Uh, that he gives us that my God will supply all your needs. Now, so as you think about Philippians chapter 4 in that context, that there's a posture, a mindset that we need to live, we need to have a positive mindset in everything that we do. We need to take all of our prayers, all of our burdens, everything to God. Uh, but then this principle that we can live by, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we'll put it up on the screen for you. And let me just read it. Uh, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength, through Christ who gives me strength. My guess is, as I hear uh, preached, or I hear talked about, or I hear a verse in Scripture utilized, or, or you see it uh, at some sporting event sometime, or some great achievement, there's probably no other verse... I can't think of any other verse in all of God's Word that is probably misused or misunderstood more than this verse. Honestly, uh, this verse is... A, when do you see this verse? Or when do you hear someone say this verse? It's when they've won the Super Bowl. Or they've won the, Super, uh, you know, the World Series. Or uh, they've climbed Mount Everest. Or they've done something amazing. And they talk about, I can do all things. Uh, through Him who strengthens me, or Christ who strengthens me. And, and you go, man, that is a great thought, right? Uh, how many of you like to know uh, that regardless of what you do, through God's help, you can win? How many of you like that? I, I do. I want you to know, if you give me a choice, uh, if I'm going to play a game, and there is a scoreboard, which, by the way, the only kind of games I want to play have a scoreboard, uh, I want to, at the end of the game, through Christ's strength, always to win. Am I the only guy in the room? Am I the only guy that prefers if I'm going to play, I would rather win? And therefore, this verse guarantees me that I will win, doesn't it? No. Why? Well, because there is what is referred to as context in Scripture. What context does this verse flow out of? 
And we're going to look at the context of this verse. Certainly, there, there, there was the proper attitude of rejoice always. Man, God's going to allow us to rejoice. There is a proper way to pray, man, if there is an anxiety. That word anxiety means anything that is weighty in your life. Anything that burdens you, whether it's a job or finances or relationship uh, or a health matter or something else, man, you can take it to God. And God, when you can give it to God, you can, you can have God deal with it, and He will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. But then we come to this principle, which is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the context between the prayer and the principle that we see tells us a little bit of a different story. Now, I don't want to discourage you that... Uh, you say, so pastor, I'm not always going to win. Well, let me go ahead and discourage you. You're not always going to win, all right, on the scoreboard. But through Christ's strength and Christ's help, we can win regardless of what the circumstances say. We can still win regardless of what the scoreboard says. We can endure all things. If you think of that word do, probably a better translation is to endure all things. As a matter of fact, Paul doesn't leave us wanting here. He actually gives us a context between the prayer and the principle. He gives us the context of what he's talking about. And he tells us, there have been times in my life where I've had a lot. And I thank God. And I've been able to endure it. He says, there have been times in my life where I didn't have anything. And guess what? Through Christ's strength, I've been able to endure it. I've been able to endure the wins. I've been able, I've been able to do, uh, endure the losses. Why? All because of God's strength. Now, if we think about it uh, in, in our life, uh, between you and me, you know, we've got a, if we've got a choice between to win or to lose, I'm going to choose to win every time. But this verse tells me even if I do lose in life, I can have the strength and the power of God's grace and love to get me through. Um, there are times that uh, we would prefer better as opposed to worse. How many of you would prefer better? If you choose better, I, I would. But this verse does tells, uh, tell us that if you find your place uh, yourself in one of those spaces in life where it's worse, you can endure that. Uh, there are times in life uh, that we're at war. How many of us understand that? And there are times that we, in our life that we're at peace. Man, if you give me a choice, I'm going to choose peace over war. But this verse does tell me, hey, if I'm at war, I can endure it. If I'm at peace, I can endure it. As we just think through uh, whether I'm single or whether I'm married, whether I'm young or whether I'm old, regardless of where I am in life, Paul is giving us this principle that you and I can endure anything through the strength that Christ gives us. It's not guaranteeing us that we're always going to be at peace, that we're always going to live a life that is better and not worse. It is not guaranteeing us that we're always going to win and not lose. But what this verse does tell the believer, the man of God, is that regardless of your life circumstances, regardless of my life circumstances, through the power of God's Spirit in me, through the power of Christ that moves through me, that I can endure it. Now, let me share with you a little bit of the context, and I'll show you where we get this. Jump back up to verse 10. This is Paul giving us the context, and this is the context of these verses that lead us up to verse 13. 
And here's what Paul said. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. In other words, he said, your concern had waned a little bit, but I rejoiced that you ultimately renewed your concern for me. He says, indeed, you were concerned, but you didn't have an opportunity to show it. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever circumstances I have. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living with plenty or living in want. Then there's the verse, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So what is he saying? He says, well, you know what? I have learned this, that through Christ's power, if I have plenty, I can endure it. If I have nothing, I can endure it. If I am well-fed, I can endure it. If I don't have anything, I can endure it. Why? Because the strength that God gives us through His Son is what allows us to move through. Now, if all we do is, is preach the gospel of winning, that belies so much of what we see in Scripture. If all we do is preach the gospel uh, of, uh, man, it, once you trust Christ, once you sell out to God, once you attend church, once you get it plugged into a life group, your life is always going to be great. The wind is always going to be at your back. The sun is always going to be at your face. You will always get the raise. You will always get the promotion. You will always get the girl. You will always get this. You will always get that. If that's what we sell, we ignore what we see in Scripture. Does that make sense? See, this verse is not just about us being able to win the Super Bowl. It is, us, it is about us being on the team that didn't sniff the playoffs and still being able to do, endure it. And there are times in our lives, and that's where we are, that, man, in your health, in your finances, in your relationships, in your job, in your life, it just seems like it can be tiresome and hard. The one thing that we knew about Paul is whatever Paul did, he did to the best of his ability. How many of you know that? Man, he worked his tail off. He was serving God. He was praying. He was, uh, uh, he was doing everything he could for God. But he says right here, there were times that I was hungry. Even after he had worked hard. Even after he had served God. Even after he had done everything within his power to please God and to serve God and obey God and do exactly what God wanted him to do, Paul still sometimes found himself hungry. Sometimes he did all that and he found himself well fed. Sometimes he did all that and he didn't have anything. Sometimes he did all of that and he found that he had plenty. And see, and that's the context, but we have to be careful when we come to even these blockbuster verses that we understand that there are going to be tough times in our lives. Man of God, there will be tough times in your life. If you're not in one right now, just hang on. I don't know which one's coming, but one's coming. I don't know which one's going to show up in your life, 
but one of them is going to show up in your life. And you need to understand this verse in such a way that it will get you through the hard times. It will get you through the tough times. It will get, to th get you through those difficult seasons. This is not just a verse that we celebrate the victory. It is, the it is a verse that you and I can trust God as we walk through what seems to be the ultimate defeat. And so as we think about this verse, I wanted to call your attention to a couple of things. As we think about Paul and all that he did and all that he worked out, uh, I remember what Haggai said in Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. We'll put it on the screen for you. He says, now this. Now, this is what the Lord your God says to you. Now, talking to some people, God is talking through Haggai to some people who had become faithless. And here's what he says. He says, give careful thought to your ways. All right? Now, that's the key to understanding the next few verses we're about to read. He says, give careful thought to your ways. He says, you have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're never warm enough. You earn wages to put them in a purse that has holes in it. Now, you think of, man, they're doing a lot, right? But the truth is, it said you're earning a lot of money, but it, it, it's, it, you're putting it in a purse with no holes in it. You're, 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 you're planting a lot, you're sowing a lot, but you're not harvesting a lot. So as we come to this idea of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, we need to understand that there is a juxtaposition between how I live my life sometimes and how God wants me to live my life. Does that make sense? See, Haggai was saying, listen, you are doing a lot of things, but you're doing them in your own power for your own glory, for your own good. He says, man, what do you have to do if you constantly find yourself in a place like these people were in Haggai's day, where, man, you put on more clothes, but you're still cold. Uh, you, 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 you sow a lot of grain, but there, there there's no, seems to be no harvest. He says the only thing you can do is consider your way. So as we think through this, guys, if you're in a place in a space of defeat, consider your ways. Before we even get back to Philippians chapter 14, 4, consider your ways. Are you doing everything you can to the glory of God? If you think about Haggai, is there anything wrong with planting? Absolutely not, right? I mean, God tells us, man, there is a principle of sowing and reaping in God's Word. There is nothing wrong with planting unless we're planting the wrong way. Is there anything wrong with having clothes? No, absolutely. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with having clothes unless you're having clothes for the wrong reason. Is there anything wrong with earning a wage? Absolutely not. Unless your only purpose for having money or earning wages is to shove more and more money in your pocket to buy yourself more and more stuff. In that space, we need to consider our ways. That if you are living your life with all of your assets and all of your resources and all of your energy only about pleasing you and not about pleasing others, then you need to consider your ways. And I want you to know, if you're doing everything in your life for one person and that one person isn't God, it's you, and you end up with very little and you end up on the losing side of the ledger, if you end up with no money and you're doing it all for you, Philippians 4.13 doesn't apply to you. It doesn't. 
It doesn't. Haggai 1 applies to you. Consider your ways. Now, once you've changed your ways and you've said, man, God, I want to I sow and I want to reap to your glory and, your, uh, and, and to your kingdom and to your glory, then Philippians 4.13 applies to you. He says, now listen, if every time you earn a wage, I want to earn a wage because God has given me some skills and some talents and some abilities that I want to serve and I want to serve my community, I want to serve others, and I want to get paid for my, my work. There's nothing wrong with that, but I want to do that in such a way that I can then contribute to God's kingdom and His glory and His, His things. Because remember what Paul said. He said, at once you didn't have an opportunity... But now you have an opportunity to provide for me again. He says, you renewed your support of me. Guys, when we come to Philippians 4 today, I want to encourage you with this. As you examine your life, if, if you're in a state of one loss after another loss, after another loss, after another loss, examine your ways. If you are losing a losing battle time and time again and you're doing it for yourself, there's only one response. It is repentance and confession. That you come back to God and you say, God, listen, uh, I want to thank you, God, for the talents and skills and abilities that you've given me. But I also want to confess, God, that I've always spent them on myself. It's always been about me and my pleasure and my resources and my clothes and my things and my this and my that. And you confess that and you wrestle with God on that and say, God, I want to come to a place and a space where I can glorify you. Then if I'm in that space where you say, listen, God, in everything I want to do, in my occupation, in my relationships, in my words, in my attitude, in my church, and in my service, God, I just want to serve you. I want to be a, a man that lives in such a way, God, that I glorify you. If you have moved from the Haggai way of life, where it's all about me, to the godly way, the Paul way of life, where it's all about God, then when you have that victory, you can truly celebrate and point to God and say it is for His glory. But then when you go through that tough season in life, you can be confident like Paul, and I can be confident like Paul, and say, listen, God, I have done everything for you, and I'm going to trust you that you are going to give me the strength to go through. And that is really what Philippians 4 is about. It is about a man who has given it all. And sometimes he's on the winning side of the ledger and sometimes he's on the losing side of the ledger. But because he's trusted God and it's all for God's glory, he can endure it. And men, that's the kind of guy we want to be. We don't want to be the kind of men that are looking to make more money so I can stuff more money in just my pocket. I don't want to always be about my position and my power and my everything. I want to be the kind of man of God that serves God in every space, in every place, and in every way. And so now let's walk through this passage and think about it. Uh, as we go back to verse 10, let me give you a couple of thoughts. As we think and we move to verse 13, hey, let me give you this thought. First of all, we all need to cherish what we have. We all need to cherish what we have. My guess is, 
even the man in this room who looks around at others in this room and thinks that you have very little compared to some of the others in this room, you have way more than most people in the world. How many of you understand that? And if you and I are going to live out this principle of being content with what we have, it has to start with us cherishing what we already have. This is what you see with Paul. Look at it in verse 10, Philippians chapter 4. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed, and that word renewed, by the way, in the original language, that, that Greek word means blossomed. In other words, it's kind of like the flower has been sitting there. All of a sudden, it is blossoming. It is re-blossoming. He says that you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, he says, you were concerned, but you had not had the opportunity to show it yet. I love Paul. That um, Paul is clearly writing out of a space of need, right? That's what he's writing about. How many of you know where Paul was when he was writing the book of Philippians? Where was he? He's in prison, right? And, and instead of Paul complaining, instead of Paul griping, instead of Paul saying, where are you guys at? Instead of Paul saying, why didn't you do it earlier? Don't you know I've been struggling in need? Instead, Paul cherished what he had. And what did he have? He had a body of believers that were renewing their interest in him. That's what he's celebrating. He's celebrating the fact that he has these men out here that could have been seen, could have been griped about, seen as not caring. But now all, the, all of a sudden, Paul, he cherishes what he has. That there are a body of believers out there that have renewed their zeal for me. And guys, so let me just encourage you, as you learn contentment, and he uses that word, it starts with us being men who choose not to gripe and complain. Who choose not to gripe and complain. If we spend a lot of those seasons in our life when we don't have a lot, when all we do is gripe and complain about what someone else has, we will miss God's best for us. Man, the beauty of what I see here in Paul is that even though he has very little, and even though he has in, has, has, uh, he's in prison, that Paul is not missing God's best. Paul is not sitting there going, man, here I am in prison, and they're all out there having fun. Hey, haven't we all had that thought in our mind that everybody seems to just having a great life except for me? Guys, cherish what you have. Paul cherished the moment that he had there in prison. Why? Because he was able to see them renew their interest and care and love for him. And as we think about our lives, guys, you and I need to cherish what we have. What do you have right now? What do you have right now that you need to cherish more? You have a job? Do you cherish it? Or do you gripe about it? Do you have a couple of dollars in your bank account? Do you cherish it? Or do you only gripe that you don't have more?
What about your health? Do you cherish what you have? Hey, newsflash, dudes. It's going to get worse. How many of you know your health's going to get worse? Okay. You, you might want to cherish what you have. Do we all understand this could be the best it ever gets for us? Do we understand that? If you don't cherish this moment right now, how many of you know it could all change like that? It could all change right like that, just that quick. So if you and I are going to learn to live with an understanding and an idea of contentment in life and enduring anything that comes my way, it starts with me learning to cherish what I have right now. Man, the relationships that I have, the friendships that I have, the church that I have, the dudes around me that I have. Uh, I know you look around and you go cherish some of these guys. Yeah, even cherish some of these guys. Man, we need to learn to cherish what we have. Then if you do get more blessed with better health tomorrow or better finances or a better job or a better promotion or a better this or a better that, you can cherish it all the more. But I will promise you, we will never long learn to cherish the next victory if we don't learn to cherish the victories we have today, regardless of how small they are. Because it's easier to go from cherishing a present moment and a present circumstances to celebrating a win than it is to go from griping about what you do have to enjoying anything that comes your way in life. How many of us understand that? So thought number one is cherish what you have. That's exactly what Paul said in verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord right now that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, he says, I believe in you. You were concerned. Man, Paul could have judged them like crazy. Oh, now you show up. Anybody ever done it, done something for anybody and, and the way they thanked you made you never want to help them out again? How many of you understand what I'm talking about? There, there are times, I mean, sadly, Christians are great at that, right? You, you, you show up, you do something, you just hear about the need, and all of a sudden you show up and someone looks at you and kind of goes, finally. You're like, well, I just heard about this yesterday. I love that, that Paul didn't say, well, thanks for finally showing up. He just celebrated what he had. He cherished what he had. He cherished the idea that, man, you know what? They haven't been here all along, but they would have been had they known. And I think that's what makes Paul so unique, and that's why he stands out among men, not because he was perfect in everything he, that he did. He revealed everything about his life. Remember Romans chapter 7? He says, man, that, that which I want to do is oftentimes what I find myself not doing, and that which I shouldn't do is exactly what I find myself doing. What was he saying? My guess is Paul had that battle waging on in his own mind, in his own heart, in his own life, in this moment, in this space, in that prison that Paul was struggling and battling with his attitude. And as he's writing down these words, he is reminding himself, of the proper posture, that I need to rejoice always. Why? Because I know that this prison isn't my eternal home. 
It's the streets of gold. That's where I'm going to spend eternity. And not because of how good I am, but because of how awesome and loving God is. And as we think through this, it starts with us cherishing what we have. So guys, if you were to write down something right now, if you're going to celebrate life, you better cherish what you have. I better cherish what I have. And guys, my guess is we all have a lot more to cherish than we think. Do we understand that? Guys, just look around the room. You got a lot more to cherish than you think. Think about who your friends are, who your people are that you love at church and you care about, relationships that you have with people, wherever they are. Man, we've got a lot to cherish. We've got to cherish what we have. Jump down to verse 11. Let me give you another thought. If we're going to learn true contentment, really to understand this principle we find in verse 13, is we've got to enroll in the school of contentment. I love what Paul said in verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned. If you go read this in the original Greek, that word I have learned, that I is emphatic. He goes, I had to learn it. See, the, the truth is when it comes to learning contentment, I have to learn it from me and you have to learn it for you. I can't learn contentment for you and you can't learn it for me. The emphatic portion in, in, in that verse says each one of us has to learn it on our own. Now, we also have to acknowledge, he says, it's an education. It's a class that we have to enroll in. Being content does not come naturally. It only comes supernaturally. You say, Pastor, can you prove that? Anybody ever have a kid? How many of you have just ever had a kid that they were just content from the moment they were born? They never wanted anything else? They just looked at you from the crib and looked at mom and said, No, nah, I've had enough to eat. Get a, get a good night's sleep, mom. Kids aren't content. Then all of a sudden you get them, you know, get them where they're, they're old enough where you can walk them through the grocery store and then you get up to the counter and those uh, wonderful marketers put all the sugary stuff right there where you check out. Have you ever noticed how content your kids are? I want one of those, I want one of those, I want one of those, I want one of those. Anybody ever had kids? I, one of my wife's kids was notorious for this, that... Uh, didn't matter how much we gave them for Christmas, they always seemed to mention the one thing that was on their list that we didn't get. Anybody ever have a kid like that? And, and you know, we always let them make a list, but this one in particular used to always put something ridiculous on the list. Like, I would like a Corvette. I'm like, you're eight. You're not getting a Corvette. Ever. Ever. See, contentment is not something we're born with. It's a, it's a class that we have to enroll in. I love what he says. I have learned, whether I'm in need or whether I'm well-fed, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. This is something that we learn. Guys, that means that if you are at the top of your game, if you are winning right now, financially you are tearing it up. You know what Paul says, in whatever circumstance, you better learn contentment at the top. 
Because if you don't learn it at the top, you won't know it at the bottom. Let me reverse that around. If you were at the bottom of your game, Paul says, if you don't learn contentment at the bottom, you'll not know contentment at the top. He says, I had to learn it. You say, how do we learn it? It starts, cherish with what, cherish what I have. Second thing, it means live generously. Man, we've got to turn around and say, man, when I consider what I do have and I cherish what I do have, I also want to honor God and be generous with what I have. Go back to Haggai. You keep stuffing money in your pockets, but your pockets have a hole in it. Holes in it. Consider your ways. You keep sowing, but you don't reap. Consider your ways. Man, as we think about it, that the idea if I'm really going to truly experience what God wants for us in the principle of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, it starts with cherishing what I have. But the second thing is we have to live generous lives. Man, Paul was always concerned for someone else. He wasn't just concerned about himself. So if you think about cherishing what, what you have, let me ask you a question in your life. Who could say, of all the people you interacted with this week, could we have a line of testimonies of people that say, you know what, that John Mark, he's pretty generous. He just called me to check on me. He just gave me this. He just did this. He just made this happen. See, that's the kind of mindset that Paul is saying. I've learned to be content. I don't have to store up everything. All my time doesn't have to be my time. All my energy doesn't have to be my energy. All of my resources don't have to be my resources. Instead, I want to be generous with what I have. And guys, as we think about being generous, that teaches us to be content. You say, Pastor, I'm about as discontented as you can imagine. Here's the good news. You can learn it. You can learn it. You say, how? Take stock. Evaluate what you have in every area of your life. And say, what I have, I'm going to cherish. And then what I have, I'm going to be generous with. And therefore, I'm going to learn to be content. I want you to know that sometimes this class contentment is harder than others. I can look back on my life and there have been seasons when I've been very content. There have been seasons when I've been very discontent. Am I the only person in the room that is this way? There have been times when I felt like I failed this class. There have been times I felt like I did quite well in this class. There have been times that I thought I should be able to teach this class called contentment. Then there are other times that I thought, I don't even think I could get into that class. And we all go in those seasons and those spaces in life where we do that. And this class is not an easy one. Reminds me of the boy that walked into his teacher one time and uh, said, Teacher, I need to tell you something, but I don't want to scare you. And the teacher said, what is it? She goes, well, I was talking to my dad last night about, our grade, about my grades. And he said, if my grades don't get better in this class, someone's going to get a spanking. Some of y'all just got that. The kid was trying to say, it's going to be the teacher. Someone's going to get a spanking. The reality of it is, hey, in life, 
Sometimes we get a spanking. We get a knot slapped on our head because we haven't done what God has wanted us. We haven't cherished what we had. We haven't been generous to others who come our way. Now as you jump down, continue to read on. Look at verse 12. He says, in life, not only do we need to cherish the things that we have, be generous with what we have, but we need to learn to be flexible. Here's the flexibility part of contentment. He says, I know what it is, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. That means to be humble of means. I don't have much. I don't have very much at all. He goes, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or living in one. What is Paul saying? He said, I'll learn to be flexible. Guys, part of life is learning to live flexible lives. Life is filled with ups and downs. Life is filled with wins and losses. Life is filled with good times and bad times. And we need to learn to be flexible. I can tell you, we can look back over the season of this church. Some of these guys have been serving here for a long time, been here 26 and a half years. There have been seasons in this church of incredible victories. There have been some massive defeats that we have seen over the years. I mean, we have seen a ton. And sometimes we've just been flexible. A couple of years ago, for those who are around here, you know, how many of you know we had a small hell storm here at the church? Let me tell you, we, we, we had a great plan that year, didn't we? Remember, we had a great plan that year. Remember all that? We had a great plan. And then all of a sudden, a hailstorm took out pretty much everything except for the worship center. Had we been inflexible, we'd have just said, close for business, come back and see us next year. But we went from soaring and amazing and incredible days. We had just finished the chapel to having our lives changed. And instead of sitting, soaking, and souring, we cherished what we had, which was an incredible body of believers called Cottonwood Creek Church, who said, listen, if all we can do is go in that room in there and worship each and every Sunday, that's what we're going to do, and we're going to figure out ministry somehow, some way, until we get it all put back together. That's on a corporate level, but on an individual level, we need to be the same way. In my life and in your life, we need to be, a, we need to be flexible. Man, if all of a sudden, your plans, as you had put them down on pen and paper, have been destroyed, can I tell you this? God's still got another plan. If you're willing to be flexible and faithful, you say, Pastor, are there some ideas on what it takes to be uh, flexible? Let me give you this thought. Accept what is. The first thing we had to do when we had the hailstorm was we had to accept what it is. No matter how much we moaned and cried and whined, guess what? We weren't going to be in this building for a long, long time time except what is second thought decide what's next it's just that simple accept what is decide what's next and then third idea of being 
Improve your plan. Improve your plan. Accept what is. Decide what is the next thing I need to do. And then once you get the ball rolling again, whatever you do, make your plan better. Modify the plan. That's exactly what Paul's saying. He says, listen, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. I'm going to accept what is, whether living in plenty or living in want. I'm going to start moving forward. And I'm going to modify my plan. I'm going to say, listen, when I have a lot to eat, then I'm going to be this way. When I don't have much to eat, I'm going to do this way. And as we think through it, man, that's the idea that we have to live with. Is that there are going to be seasons when I am on the winning side of the ledger and sometimes I'm on the losing side of the ledger. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be content with what I have as long as, listen to this, I've done whatever I can do to the glory of God then I can step into verse 13. So when you think about what Paul said, he says, my attitude, my posture is always one of joy. My prayer is whatever I'm anxious about, I'm going to lay those at God's feet. He's going to give me the peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, I'm going to live life cherishing what I have, being generous with what I have, and then focusing on being flexible for what's next. And I'm going to say, God, I'm going to honor you. Therefore, if I end up with a lot, I can live with that. If I end up with very little, I can live with that. Then and only then do I get to come to verse 13 and fully understand it. Go back to verse 13. I can endure or do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, the context says this. I can endure life when I'm hungry. And I can endure life when I'm well-fed. I can endure life when I win. I can endure life when I lose. How do I do that? Notice this. Through Him who gives me strength. See, the strength comes from Christ, guys, not from ourselves. And when we fall back and say, God, what do you want for me? And you say, God, I want to live my life for your glory. Then you can claim that verse. I can do all things. I can endure anything through Christ who strengthens me. So next time you see this verse, probably after some championship, that's one side of the ledger. But also remember, there are probably some guys that are walking off with their helmets in their hand, crying and weeping that are never going to get on TV again. And guess what? If they follow Christ, they can endure all things as well. And so guys, whether you are winning or losing in the world's eyes, if you're doing it God's way, you can endure it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, an opportunity just to share a verse that I love. God, I love to quote. I love to share it. I love to understand it. I love when I'm going up against a battle, maybe a Goliath in my life, that I love to think about this idea. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
but I also know, God, that the context of that passage is that sometimes I'll have plenty and other times I'll have little. Sometimes I'll be well-fed, sometimes I'll be hungry. But regardless, God, if I do it your way, you'll give me the strength to endure it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all go give it your best today. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.